Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest is Eric Metaxas, my good friend, speaker, author, TV, radio host. My friend, Eric Metaxas, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Now, Eric, where are you at the moment while we're having this conversation? I haven't the foggiest. No, that's right. That's, I just thought that's what I was supposed to say. I'm, in fact, uh, in the home in which I grew up in Danbury, Connecticut. I'm about five meters from my father, who will be 96 in a few days' time. And uh, this is the home uh, where, I, uh, where I grew up. This is it. Now, well, let's start there, and I want to start with your book, this book, Fish Out of Water. Great title. Your mother is from Germany. Your father was from Greece. So why don't you tell us a little of their story? Yeah. Well, it's a little, it's an amazing story. My, my mother and father came from Greece and Germany independently of each other, of course. My father came from Greece in 1955. My mother came from Germany in 54. They met in an English class in New York City uh, in 1956. And the cover of that book, Fish Out of Water, amazingly, is a photograph that my mother took of my father while they were on a date at the Statue of Liberty in 1957. So that picture of my father in 1957 on the cover of the book. Uh, and the reason it's called Fish Out of Water, it's a memoir of my life up until I came to faith when I was born again dramatically, very miraculously, um, around my 25th birthday. So the story Fish Out of Water, it's the it's the... It's the story of my life and uh, growing up here in this very home uh, and then going off to Yale University and so on and so forth, all of which commingles miraculously in a dream which the Lord uh, gave me around my 25th birthday uh, that, that wove together a number of the elements of my life in such a way to make it extremely clear to me that he, the Lord, was the author of the dream, that he knew all the details of my life and wanted to blow my mind completely and forever. And so, and that happened in this home as well. Well, what's so fascinating, Eric, is that in your journey of faith, there were a number of, we could call them maybe um, epiphanies. I mean, even, the Russian Orthodox priest. There was a, a little yeah. bit of education regarding the faith. In telling the story of how I came to faith, a lot of times Christians will say, well, it happened on this date or this date or this date. And in, in a way that can be true, but there's also a process, at least in my case, as well. It's not like I went from being, you know, a crack smoking uh, murderer and suddenly I came to faith. It, it was this, it's this long process culminating in this dream that the Lord gave me around my 25th birthday. But leading up to that, there are these moments. Clearly, uh, God's hand was in my life leading up to this. And one of the strangest things happened maybe two or three months before the dream. 
I had just begun to be open to the idea of God a little bit, just a little bit, because uh, I'd, I'd been raised in the Greek Orthodox Church and, and had this kind of cultural faith that began to become more real. But by the time I went to Yale University, which like many universities now, was already anti-God, very uh, leftist, just dramatically uh, ridiculous in terms of political correctness and so on and so forth. So I drifted away from any sense of God or the reality of that. And so... uh, Eric, let me just say, but at Yale, you even heard Billy Graham. Oh, gosh. Yeah, this was so funny. Yeah, I'm amazed you, you remember this. While I was at Yale, even though I had pushed away the Christian group on campus, I'd said, oh, I don't know that I want to hang out with them. Uh, I, I don't know that I, uh, I, I want to find my own path. I wasn't blazing a trail toward atheism. I was lost. I was confused. I was uh, a little bit open-minded. But yes, Billy Graham came to campus, and I had just left off hanging out with the Christian group on campus. So, of course, I hear Billy Graham, Billy Graham, this, you know, monstrous celebrity that this this figure that I've known my whole life from TV is going to be at Yale. And sure enough, he has dinner with the small group of Christians on campus whom I had just decided not to hang around with anymore. I would have had dinner with Billy Graham as it was. I never met him in my life. I sort of knew the Lord <laughs> would do that, right? That I, it's just interesting. In any event, I was, I was, I, I was searching. There's no other way to put it. No. And I think and, a lot of people yes. are this way. They're and, searching. They don't know where to look. But as you said earlier on, Eric, you know, it's a process, but it's also a crisis. So tell us a little bit about the actual dream that you had that impacted your life. I had this dream where the Lord spoke to me in a dream that once and forever changed my life. I was born again. I woke up. Uh, this was uh, around, uh, you know, it was, it was it was the summer of 1988. And from that moment forth, I had zero doubt, zero, that God is real, Jesus is Lord, the Bible is true. And it was really a very dramatic miracle, but it wasn't until that dream somehow that it took. Absolutely. Well, that that was your, maybe your tipping point. Uh, but since that day, you've been yeah. a passionate ambassador for Jesus Christ in so many different ways. You, you're a speaker. Uh, you're a TV radio host, you're a writer. You're, how would you describe what you do now? Well, it's almost impossible to describe. I'm certainly eclectic uh, because I, uh, people know me principally as a writer. I, I mean, I became known um, not really until 2010 when my biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer came out. When the Bonhoeffer book came out in 2010, for the first time in my life, uh, I achieved some measure of success. All these people kept talking about it. And I was astonished, really, that anybody was paying any attention to it. But it was uh, Bonhoeffer is a German pastor who got involved in the plot to kill Hitler, one of the greatest stories in the history of the world. I wrote it only because I thought, you know, my mother grew up in Germany. 
during this period of the Nazis. Uh, she lived through it. My grandmother lived through it. My family lived through it. This was my story, just as much as the Greek side of things is is, is my story. And I, when when I found the story of Bonhoeffer, I, I was so astonished that I had never heard it before. I mean, it was really around the time I came to faith in '88 that I first heard the story. I thought are you kidding that there's a man who, because of his Christian faith, spoke against Hitler, spoke up for the Jews, died, was killed by the Nazis? I mean, this is amazing. And there was never a book really worthy of, of him. Uh, there, there were biographies and stories, but, but, but nothing that was kind of a definitive, here's the amazing story of Bonhoeffer. So uh, my first biography was about William Wilberforce. It's called Amazing Grace. And of course, he's the great British parliamentarian who led the battle against the slave trade, one of the most amazing stories in history. So I wrote that book and then I thought, I've got to write the story of Bonhoeffer. And I wrote it in 2010, or I should say came out in 2010. And that really changed my life. It opened many doors. I spoke, uh, I was the main speaker at the National Prayer Breakfast uh, in Washington, D.C. with President Obama and so on and so forth. It really changed everything. Uh, And next year, the Bonhoeffer story is is coming out as a movie. We've spent over 10 years working on that. But the Bonhoeffer book is how many people know me. Even though I've written 14 books, at least, and about 30 children's books, people often come up to me and say, thank you for your book. But I say, which book? Obviously, I already know they always mean the Bonhoeffer book. That's the book that, you know, it, it was a, a a great success in its way and sold like a million copies and has been translated into 20 languages. And fortunately, it will be translated back into English very soon so that we can read it again. Well, Eric, I have read both of these. I love biographies. I I eat books and uh, truly inspiring to kind of uh, introduce Uh, these heroes of the faith uh, to today's generation. Um, You know, what's amazing is you did English at Yale and after Yale, you started writing for VeggieTales and the New York Times and you somehow were able to write for children and then write for all types of people. Obviously, you have an ability. While you're at Yale, you're also the editor of the oldest, is it the oldest? It's the oldest college humor magazine in the United States. Uh, Yeah, I was there. I've written a lot of humor. I mean, this is why I I find myself confusing because I've, I've written a lot of humor. I've written over 30 children's books. And I've written, uh, you know, obviously many books for adults, but but also many people know me. I have a show on TBN uh, every week, uh, and I have a national radio program uh, across the United States. A lot of people listen to it on podcasts, actually around the world. I'm amazed that because it's available, uh, you know, uh, via the internet, a lot of people listen to me overseas as well. But it's just the Eric Metaxas show, and I interview uh, a vast array of personages, people, for example, like you. Uh, I interviewed yes. John Cleese of Monty Python very briefly. Uh, I've interviewed so many different kinds of people that it that it's it's delightful because I get to, um, you know, look into every corner of the world and reality, all of which is encompassed 
by the Lord. God is over all of reality. So wherever we look, we can find him. And so, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm known to some people as the host of the Eric Metaxas show. I'm known to other people as the author of these different books. Um, now, another known- thing that you have done and you very graciously had me on uh, is Socrates in the City. Tell us what oh. that is. What is it? I almost forgot about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a big part of my life. Socrates in the City, people can find it at SocratesInTheCity.com or on YouTube, Socrates in the City. We have a channel. Basically, um, it's an interview series. I interview uh, folks like yourself, but it's more, what, what would you call it? In the United States, we'd say it's like, PBS program. It's a little upscale, a little bit sophisticated, a little bit more intellectual. The radio show is 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 a little bit more free and casual. But Socrates in the City is meant to be a little bit intellectual. And the reason it's called Socrates in the City is because Socrates famously said the unexamined life is not worth living. In other words, we ought to think about life, about the big questions. And I thought I want to do something that's not quite evangelistic. Uh, it's, it's not apologetics. It's a real mixture and it's meant to draw people in. So sometimes uh, it will be more on the nose as when I spoke to you about your life and your conversion experience. Other times it will be um, just exploration of ideas about the truth. So we've had a very broad array of guests at Socrates uh, in the city. Some names will be familiar. Malcolm Gladwell was my uh, guest. Uh, I had Yomi Park, who escaped from North Korea, telling her extraordinary story. That was recently. Um, so we've had scholars. We often have people talking about C.S. Lewis. We've had a number of C.S. Lewis scholars. So we normally do it in New York City, but we did a bunch of them in Oxford at St. Aldate's Church, which was where I met you. Yes. And uh, we, I interviewed Walter Hooper, who was the secretary to C.S. Lewis during the last year of Lewis's life. I interviewed him for three sessions because he has this treasure of stories about C.S. Lewis. And I mean, just amazing, amazing. I interviewed Michael Ward, who was a C.S. Lewis scholar at Oxford. So it's, it's really very, uh, as I say, eclectic, but it's Socrates in the city. And it's the sort of thing you could share with somebody maybe who isn't yet a Christian and just say, check this out, see what you think. Uh, well, I really like, I like what you do, Eric. You, I mean, you are a storyteller and you're also engaging with people to tell more stories and almost like to open windows into the soul and even the front door as well. Now, your most recent book, Letter to the American Church, what prompted you to write this and how would you summarize what you're trying to say? The reason I wrote Letter to the American Church was I felt a very clear prompting from the Lord. I don't say that kind of thing lightly. Um, That what is happening in America and around the world as well, because I know around the world, very similar things are happening. But I, I saw, particularly in America, um, Christian leaders and pastors shrinking from standing against the evil that's rising around us. Of course, today it takes a global, a globalist, 
uh, atheist, uh, cultural Marxist form. It's not a national socialism as it was in the 30s under the, the Nazis. But nonetheless, a host of things happening that are uh, really a rage against God, against God's people, against God's values. And the church in America is being silent in, I'm sorry to say, precisely the same way that the German church was silent under the rise of the Nazis. They had very good, they thought, reasons for their silence. They thought, ah, oh, we don't want to you know, we don't want to get political. We just want to stay in our theological lane. We just want to preach the gospel. Meanwhile, satanic evil was allowed to destroy people's lives. They didn't realize, most of them, that their silence in the face of evil was a handmaiden to evil itself. They thought, we, we have theological reasons. Romans 13, we're, we're not supposed to get involved in politics. We're just supposed to keep our heads down and stick to theology. That's nonsense. That's not biblical. But they thought it was biblical. And by the time they realized what they had done, it was too late. And so I wrote letter to the American church, and we're talking about doing a version uh, for England as well, because biblically, we are responsible. Bonhoeffer said the church is the conscience of the state. It is the job of the church, of those who know the Lord, to speak against evil, against corruption in whatever form it takes, and not to worry all the time about being divisive. Sometimes when you speak the truth, whether it's about slavery or about the Nazi view of the Jews, when you say these things, you will uh, be divisive to some. Nonetheless, the Lord requires of us that we say these things for his purposes. And if we're silent, uh, he judges us as complicit with evil. So it's a very dramatic uh, and serious message, but I wouldn't have written it unless I felt the Lord called me to write it. And again, it's called Letter to the American Church. It's what I believe the Lord has to say, not what I have to say. And it is meant to be a wake-up call that we would avert the horror of what happened as the Nazis rose in Germany with the silence of the church. It, th this is uh, uh, written, I believe, that the Lord would awaken those who could yet be awakened to understand, yes, we have a duty to speak the truth, uh, to, to, uh, to speak against evil in its various forms. Um, there are all kinds of things happening, and we as Christians have to be bold in in, in in speaking against these things, and we we cannot pretend it doesn't concern us. We cannot pretend that the Lord wouldn't call us to stand against these things. And I make the case so that people can understand this is not a point of view. This is not just politics. This is God's call to his people. I, uh, Eric, I was stirred as I read this. Um, and, you know, I, I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. Why is it that so many leaders are fearful? Well, it's very simple. Uh, we are sinful, broken human beings, and the Lord sometimes allows us to have our own way. C.S. Lewis famously said that, you know, the Lord uh, wants us to say, thy will be done, but at some point, if we don't say thy will be done, the Lord will say to us, thy will be done. 
and he gives us over to ourselves uh, and allows terrible things to happen. He allowed terrible things to happen in the 30s and the 40s because the German church chose silence in the face of evil. It is sometimes sheer cowardice, fear of man, confusion. So the reason I wrote a letter to the American church is to make the case, the biblical case, that no, 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 the Lord requires us to speak, and he's a judge. If we are silent in the face of evil, he marks us as complicit with evil. There's no third path where we say, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand here in the middle and be neutral. Uh, if you're neutral, when people's lives are being destroyed, the Lord doesn't see it as neutral. He sees us as, as complying with evil and destroying the lives of people for whom he has died. So it's a very, it's a very serious thing. But the good news is that the Lord continues to speak to us, continues to try to awaken those who might yet be awakened. And I know that there are people who have read this book uh, who have said, you know what, I, I got it wrong. I, I, I thought I could get out of addressing these things uh, from the pulpit or, or wherever else. And I realized, no, 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 God has created me specifically to say these things for his purposes. So uh, I'm very cautiously uh, optimistic that part of the, the reason God called me to write the Bonhoeffer book is to uh, educate me and those who've read the book in what happens when a people say, we're not we're not going to concern ourselves with this. We're just going to we're just going to go along with whatever is happening. We see what happened in the 30s, and those people, because I am German, because my mother grew up during that period, I know this is not some strange tribe. These are people just like we are, who averted their eyes when the Lord said, "I want you to look. I want you to do something." So, um, so we're in a moment where we get to to choose and where you get to say, yes, Lord, uh, uh, or, or, or pretend we don't hear anything, but the Lord wants us to hear. He wants us to hear his voice and to speak what he has to speak. Absolutely, Eric. Um, in describing you to a friend the other day, I, telling them that I was going to be in conversation with you on the program, I said that you are a friend you are an evangelist, you are an apologist, and I also refer to you as a prophet. And I, I do believe that God is using you for a time such as this. In Greece, Eric, in 1936, the president at that time was Ioannis Metaxas, why not another one in America? <laughs> Have you considered ha having a, a political voice or? It makes me very uncomfortable to point out that the Greek um, dictator, uh, John Metaxas, same surname, although we're not related, he, he was, he was um, in many ways a very, very good leader but he was technically a fascist dictator, uh, but, but, uh, but, but, but not, you know, we, we tend to think of, of, of Hitler. He was no Hitler, I'll tell you that. But no. um, have I thought of politics? I've, I, I am in many ways vocal politically. I think that uh, 
God has called me to the culture. He's called me to himself and to the culture. So I don't think that uh, I will be involved in politics. I would never say no, because I don't know. The Lord has steered me uh, as he has steered me over the decades in ways that I didn't expect to, to go. But I do think politics is very important. And I think that Christians need to understand biblically the Lord calls us into every sphere, including the political, and to avert our eyes from what is happening politically uh, is not biblical. Uh, that's a very bad idea, which many Christians have, have have taken on. It's why I wrote Letter to the American Church. And we know where bad ideas come from. We know where bad theology comes from, from the pit of hell. And we need to be very serious about understanding that, that, that if we don't take these things seriously. What happened in Germany not only can happen, um, what happened in Germany in the 30s can happen now uh, in the United States and in other parts of the world, but it is already happening. If the church does not begin to speak loudly and clearly and stand firm in our faith now, why would we think that uh the judgment that has already begun to fall would not fall in greater and greater measure. The Lord looks to his church, calls his church to speak, to be a voice for the voiceless. So I, I think these things are all mixed up together. There's no reason for us to say, oh, this is political and this is theological. And this is all truth is one. God is God and he is over all things. I often quote Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch uh, theologian and statesman. He said, there's not one square inch in all of creation over which Jesus Christ, who is sovereign, does not say mine. Every sphere, the political, the cultural, the medical, the media, everything, the Lord wants us to take him into every sphere and not to be hiding in some theological religious corner. That's the devil's Christianity, to hide in the theological corner. We'll let you preach your little gospel over there in that building on Sunday mornings. No, the church is meant to be taken out of the building and to take the Lord with us into every single sphere. That's what Wilberforce did. The slave trade was abolished because of Christians, because Christians knew this is an abomination and we're going to take our faith in Jesus, which says that we're all made in God's image and we're going to bring it into the culture, into parliament, uh, into every sphere. And by God's grace, the slave trade was abolished because Christians decided to take their faith out of the church into the world and to bless millions and millions. So that's really what God calls us to do. And that's part of why I wrote a letter to the American church. Eric, I, I, I love your zeal and I love your passion. And um, I love your books. Uh, keep on doing what you're doing, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us on the program and encouraging others around the world. Thank you, Eric. My privilege, thank you. Wasn't that inspiring? Well, Eric Metaxas is certainly a unique man and I'm always inspired speaking with him. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. Please join us again. One doctor developed the world's first vaccine. One civil rights activist helped to end racial segregation in the USA. One botanist developed new farming practices supporting impoverished farmers. 
One former slave escorted 300 others to freedom. One watchmaker saved the lives of 800 Jews and refugees during World War II. One politician persisted to see slavery legally abolished in the UK. Faith, love, generosity, sacrifice, perseverance. Heroes of the Faith, the new coffee table book by J. John. Available now at canonjjohn.com.